Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you today, and you are back for our second part of our More series together. And I think this is a great series for us to go through because it's this idea of going back to basics. And at the same time, it is all rooted around this idea of, of, of rooting ourselves in Jesus and having a strengthful relationship with him. And I believe we all desire that, but yet we all agree that we, we struggle with this in some way or another. But we are discovering this mindset that we need to take on where, where we desire to not settle for less, but we desire more and we grow into deeper relationship with him. Now, I want to give you the points for the takeaways right now because I want you to think about them as we go through this together. Here's what I want you to take away today. You need to get a time, get a place, and show up. Say them with me. Ready? Get a time, get a place, and show up. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Here's what James chapter 1 in verse 40, or excuse me, verse 4 says. It reads this way. Let perseverance finish its work and let what you do mature and complete so that you are not lacking in anything. A couple years ago, I inherited an airplane. Now, this airplane is awful small and I don't belong in it, but it is a beautiful airplane. And people ask me, Seth, are you going to fly like your dad did? And I said, well, it's time and money. And either you have one or the other. Can I get an oh yeah? And so either you might have the ability or you might have the time to do it, but you don't have the money to back it up. Or you might have the money and you just don't have the time. And I fall into both categories. Maybe you're, maybe you're with me too. Uh, but here's the thing. Sometimes we think, man, I just don't have enough time in my life to take on anything else. And we live in a world of excesses and insufficiencies, don't we? Where the time frame, we just don't know where it's going to be. Where we often have opportunity, but we often lack time. Or we have information, but often lack wisdom. Where we might have ability, but often we might lack desire. We, we might have an appetite, but we lack true nutrition. We are often trained, and we are training people every day, but we lack a whole lot of experience. There's a whole lot of remedies out there, but it seems that we lack a lot of effectiveness. We want to have an effective relationship with Jesus Christ in our life, and I think we do that by centering around him. And a lot of what we do center around really of what we want, and often we focus on the physical and what we see on the outside because that's often what we can spot with our eye. But God desires for us to focus more. He desires for us to focus on what is really not the physical, but what is the spiritual on the inside of us. All of us have a diet. And that's not just what you consume and therefore gives fuel to your body, but also what drives your soul as well. We all have a spiritual diet, and I think without it, we cannot become strong, we cannot become healthy, and we cannot become fruitful. And I don't think that's what discipleship truly looks like. Our diet really needs to be feasted and needs to be led on when it comes to the Spirit of God, when it comes through His Word. Here's what Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because they will be filled. Often we hunger for the wrong things, don't we? I've heard that we have four major food groups. Have you heard this before? And often for me, that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and midnight snack. For you, that's probably the same way. For some of us, that might be, you know, home-cooked, fast food, fancy, and smorgasbord. You know, they all fall in there. For college students, it's McDonald's, it's Arby's, it's Taco Bell, it's Pizza Hut. For my kid, it's snack, 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 and snack. 
But it's actually meat, it's dairy, it's grain, it's fruits, it's vegetables. And our physical bodies desire, desire a necessary balance for us to be functioning properly and to be able to run properly. Back in the 90s, we had a whole bunch of advertisements, and one of those was mainly for breakfast cereals, and you remember those, and Pop-Tarts was one of them, right there on the list, and you get your all flavors. And at the end of it, and it says how great it is, and you can pop it out, it's the, it's the ultimate toaster. And then it says, a part of this well-balanced breakfast, and the least balanced thing on there is the Pop-Tart in the middle. And what's crazy to me is none of the rest of what makes it balanced is in the box. You have a responsibility to make this a part of the complete balanced breakfast. And if you really want to do that, cut that Pop-Tart thing out. But the truth is, often we get that way, don't we? We have a responsibility not just for what we consume in our physical life, but what we also consume in our spiritual life, in our spiritual disciplines. And anyone who has ever been on a diet understands it often rests on discipline. It often rests upon our responsibility and how we see it. So you might be asking, hey, Seth, are you telling me what to eat? I'm saying no, but Jesus is. You might be saying, hey, is it really that important? I'm gonna say no. I think it's vital because here's the deal. And how's the saying go, ladies? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And often I think the way it is to our heart when it comes spiritually is often by what we consume. Here's the deal. There's a lot of ways and I think true about what we ingest and having effect on us physically, but so much more importantly spiritually because we are what we eat, we are what we consume, we are what we take in. And there are two things that you can ingest that are going to shape you. Either the world is going to shape you or the word is going to shape you. And we ingest the word into our lives, into our lives and when we do that daily, it results in something that I think develops our minds and our understanding and leads us in a way that God desires. But no diet has been done with success without intent. We must be a people that are intentful. We are called to be intentional people in Christ. Have you ever wanted an outcome without any input? That's what we're selling you in the American dream today. All this type of output with just little input on your end. That's why we have these get rich quick schemes that are still here today. We don't just have the half an hour workout. We have the seven-minute workout now. Did you know this? This is a thing now. I don't know what type of workout you're getting with that, but hey, we have all these theologies that come along with it about diet pills and these pyramid schemes, and often they express these limited, extreme, little effort that needs to be on your end with so much success. But really, I think we're just trying to buy something. In my grandmother's house, above a corridor in her house, there is an outlet that sits vacant just up there. And I, for years, I went, why in the world is an outlet before above a doorway? That is just the weirdest thing. Who plugs in their vacuum there? <laughs> well, it took me a little while. Oh, that's where our clock used to sit. I heard about a lady one time. She had a repairman come over because her clock wasn't working right. And he plugged it in and said, ma'am, your clock works just fine. I set the time on it and it works good. He goes, it was just unplugged. And she goes, well, I was just trying to save money. <laughs> Here's the truth. We often treat the word of God just like that, don't we? Where we say, well, when I want to tell the time, I'm just going to plug in. Or just in a moment, that's, that's when I'm going to plug in. And we wonder why we're always just a little bit off. You see, we're called to be a people that are intentional. And we see the problem when we get there when we aren't intentional. 
Here's what the Hebrew writes when it calls us and calls you and I, encourages us to action. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It reads this way. For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates and divides the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it nudges our thoughts and our attitudes and our heart. And these are the points I want to give to you today. Just as God's word is, God wants his people to be. The moral life is about being living and active. That's what we see in this passage of scripture. It is about being soul and spirit. It is about being a thought and attitude in our lives. So let's break it down just a little bit. The moral life is living and active. It is a call to action. And the writer expresses that his people should be as the word is. And how are you living? My question for you today, which I imposed to our high schools not too long ago, was this. How long have you been living? Now, a lot of us impose that type of question in our mind by this thing. How long has my heart been beating? Or how many breaths have I taken? But really, living is so much more than that. It is pursuing the one who gave you the heartbeat and breathed into your lungs in the first place. It's about who and what we are living for. Because if we don't have intention, if we don't have purpose in life, really, we're just breathing, and we aren't really living. It has been 110 years since the great tragedy of the Titanic. And in that great tragedy, many people lost their lives. And with a quick matter of hours, a great vessel that was called the unsinkable sunk. It's a tragedy. And what's interesting enough is there were boats that were close by. In fact, one of them was called the USS California. And the California was really only an hour and a half away, and they received a radio transmission, and if they would have left immediately, they would have gotten there in time, and many, many, many lives would have been saved from that tragedy. So they had a congressional hearing afterwards knowing how close that boat was from the other, and they asked, why didn't you go and respond? And the captain of the vessel fidgeted a little bit and finally responded and said, well, because we heard that there were icebergs. And so we, we snuffed out the fires, because, and then we had no power, and we couldn't do anything. You see, you and I can live our lives that way, where we have this great power that's evolved us to do some great and mighty things for God, and we have a greater call to do that, but you and I need fire and power in our lives, and it's no good to ourselves or anybody else if we don't. You see, it goes on to my second point that goes along right with this. When we look at this Hebrews passage, is this idea that if you want more in your life, it is soul and spirit as well. It's about you knowing what you know in your soul about God because he has created you that way. It is what you believe. It is the core of our beliefs, and it's why we're going through this series together and why we do what we do. But more than that, it's us joining in with the Holy Spirit and creating action in, in our lives. It's working in tandem, soul and spirit together. Your soul along with the Holy Spirit walking in tandem together to making up for the things that you might not know yet and the things that God is wanting to instill in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit is working at what things that you don't know yet because it says that he is our advocate. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. Read with me here as it says in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit reaches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. 
Now we have received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is God, that you might understand the things freely given to us by God, and we impart in these words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting the spiritual truth of those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things of the spirit of God, but if all is of him, is not able to understand because they spiritually are disconcerned. You see, this very verse talks to us about what the job of the Holy Spirit is and bringing up what God's is all about and what you should be all about. It reveals his heart and therefore reveals where our heart maybe is not meeting up yet or where it is in tandem with him. Because God just doesn't only want to give you purpose, he wants to equip you. Because Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us this, that we need to put on the full armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil that are going to come against us. He has got strategies that are coming against you. And a lot of us lack the time, and all of us say, well, we just don't have enough time. I just can't fit it in. And it's as if you and I are walking into the battle naked when God is wanting to equip you and give you exactly what you need to be able to stand and make a difference. Instead of living powerlessly. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, of being sober-mindedness. Set your hope fully on grace that will be brought to you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or John chapter 16, verse 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you, the Holy Spirit is going to make known some things to God that you and I haven't even put on our radar yet. But we only do that when we get to know him and we develop that relationship. See, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to you for your agenda. No, no, it was given to you for Christ's agenda. And he is present, he is able, and he is eager. He wants to be active on most of the stuff that you and I understand that really often doesn't come naturally if we're honest. Because our witness and us talking about Jesus to other people, that's something that's part of being a Christian. And often, that doesn't come naturally, does it? But we want it to become more natural. We want it to become more easy. And my observation is most of us aren't living secretly sinful lives. Our problem is we're living secretly Christian lives. And you and I are called to do so much more. We want to desire a more life and the Holy Spirit wants to help us walk and talk Jesus. He wants to add some fitness to our witness. Can I get an oh yeah? He wants to give you some fitness to your witness. He wants to encourage you to confront some of those things that are most wrong in your life and those things that are most right and bring those out so that God will be shown to others. The more life is also about this. It's about thought and attitude meeting up because there's stuff in there that God wants in and there's stuff in here that God once out. And the biggest reason that Seshnouts needs to search the scripture is because the scripture needs to search me. Here's the deal. In Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the form of God, it says he gives us a sword. And often we think that sword is to defend ourselves from anything else. Look at me, I got a sword. This is how my kids do it. But the truth is, that sword is not often to do battle against others. That really, that sword is to do battle here. We live in a world that says, more of me and less of you. But God is calling our mind into action to be more of you and less of me. 
If we want more in our life, we need to start living that way. And John the Baptist, I think, is one of the greatest examples for that because he started this spiritual revolution that was happening in Jerusalem, that this repentance call, and people were being baptized and growing. And he said, they asked him, you must be the Messiah. And they said, no, he said, but there's one that's coming. And when that guy showed on the scene, he said, no, 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 this is the Lamb of God. He must become greater and greater, and I must become lesser. We are called not to be the boss. We are called to be different. Here's what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is that going to happen? Unless we let mind renewal happen with our relationship and growing to know him more. Then we'll be able to test and approve the God's will and pleasing and perfect gift. So how can change happen? Well, I think the scripture is the prescription for you and I to hunger and thirst after righteousness, lest we be lifeless and dead. What should we do? You need to get a time. You need to get a place. And here's the important thing. You need to show up. Here's what Paul was thinking when he wrote this, and he was thinking of you and me in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16, encouraging us to know God more. It says, do not, I do not cease in giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowing him, having your eyes and hearts enlightened, that you may know what his hope is, which he has called you, and the riches of his glorious inheritance to his saints. He's talking about you. You might need to ask yourself this, do I want more in life? Now we consume a lot of things and I consume a lot of media at my house and I love music and you probably do too. And there's been many forms of music that has come through the ages and I grew up in the time of CDs into you know, cassettes to CDs and, but I have really learned to love vinyl. Anybody else here? And I've developed a vinyl prescription really in a lot of ways and I, and I go back to my vinyl awful because it just feels different. Can I get an oh yeah from any? If you feel me, it just feels different. And I love it, but there's a process when it comes to vinyl. As I pull it out of that sleeve, you got to take care of it. There's these little grooves that are on there, and you're physically holding the information. It's not digital. It's not Spotify. It's not on your phone. And so you have to be careful with it, and you want to clean it up. You don't want all those fizzes and pops. You're going to get fizzes and pops anyway. That's how it is. But you want to clean it, and then you take it, and you put it on a platter, and once you set it on that platter, once it's been cleaned, you go through this process of making sure it's okay and all right. It's really an active thing. You've got to turn it on, and then you've got to dial it in. It's got to be a certain RPM at 33 and a third. Am I boring you yet? 33 and a third. It's got to be just right. And you go, man, that's a lot to listen to, you know, Oak Ridge Boys. What's going on here? So... You're, you're dialing into 33 and a third, you raise the arm and you kind of become very careful. You want to put that stylus right there into the groove so you can start the song, not before the song, right in it. And when you set it down, it just enhances things and it's very different. You're plugging in to something that speaks to you and the reason that vinyl speaks to me so much is because there's a process involved. Now, there's a lot of ways that I consume music anymore, and I've had iPads, and I've had iPods, and I've had all those type of things. I've had the digital, and I've had the on-demand. Here's the thing about vinyl. You can't really just skip to your next favorite song. You got to flip that sucker over, or you got to grab a new one, and you got to do the whole process again. You got to go through the cleaning, but how you digest the music is completely different. Why? Because you're setting aside a time, and you're hearing what the artist intended you 
to hear. You see, a lot of us live our spiritual lives this way when it comes to consuming the scriptures as we go, well, I'm gonna jump to this, so just see how it applies to me, and that's it. But when it comes to our daily diet of our scripture, are we really reaching into what the designer intended for you and I to hear? Here's the truth. Do you want more? Because if you want more, it requires feasting on the word. If you want more, it doesn't just require feasting on the word and having that spiritual diet. It also requires fitting supplements in you and I's life. Things like not just church here on Sunday morning and maybe church on, on another time or, or maybe high school or maybe a group that meets together or a Bible study or going to camp or devotionals. It, it's supplementing. Sometimes we feed on the supplements and we go, well, I can eat dirty and I'll just have these supplements and it'll be okay. That's not how that works. We're called to put those things together. Do you want more? Fix your eyes on a goal. Hold to the priority of spiritual fitness in your life. Hold to the position of your walk in which you stand with God. Holding to that progression and forward motion. Seeing not just where you want to be, but seeing where you've been and where God has brought you to and where God is taking you to. It's a wonderful thing to look back on and see how God is doing great and wonderful things. Do you want more? It requires exercise. A diet requires exercise. You get to a point where you plateau and something else has to be brought into play. And our spiritual life is no different. Our spiritual diet requires for us exercising our faith, living it out, doing good deeds, meeting needs, being involved. It's something that's acted out. Do you want more? It desires faithful devotion, never quitting, never giving up, keeping the pace, pushing forward. And that comes to me personally, but that also comes to me in a communal setting as well. It comes to me being responsible, not for just for that, but seeing the world a little bit different through the eyes of the way God sees it and seeing my neighbor and supplying with the things that will bring up inside of me because the Holy Spirit wants to equip us. And how can we be equipped unless we are digesting the things that we need to bring up later? And so God designed that for you and I, for that to be a personal development and a communal development. So here it is. Get a time, get a place, and show up. Bill Hybels tells a story about his good friend, Tom. And Tom was a new Christian, and Bill did a series on this idea of speaking the word and preaching the word. And Bill's friend, Tom, he said, he came up to him after the sermon and said, I just don't have time. I mean, I'm an executive. I've kind of got a high-paying job here. I've got plane rides. I've got meetings. I just don't have time to fit it in. And here's what Bill did, and he spoke truth to him, and he said, here's the thing. I usually make time for things that are most important. And if I don't, I won't. Tom walked away a little bit disappointed, and Bill thought, well, he's not coming back. <laughs> oh, man. But he spoke truth. Wouldn't you believe it? A couple months later, Tom came back. He said, hey, I want to invite your wife and you over to my house for lunch. He came over to the house. They had a dinner. You know what Bill was excited to show him? He said, look, look what I bought. I bought a rocking chair. And Bill goes, that's a fine rocking chair. He goes, well, I like rocking chairs, and, and this is a good one. 
But I want to tell you what I do in this rocking chair. Every morning I get up, and I get up a half an hour earlier than I ever did, and I get up, I have coffee, I sit out, and there's a window right there, and I like to be in this place. And I open up the word, and I try to let the word speak to me, I try to digest it, and I see how God might be speaking to me in a way in which might motivate me to greater things. And Bill said, how's that doing? And his wife spoke up and said, oh, it's doing great. <laughs> He's a different person. He's changed. The way he treats me, the way he treats others, the way he does business, it's totally different. And it's all because of the time in the chair. A year later or so, Tom said, I think God's got some more in plan for me. And so he decided to give up his high-paying job in advertising. He said, I'm, Bill, I, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna work with you. We're gonna build this church some more. And guess what? They did. And it wasn't three or four years after that. Another friend was building a church out in Colorado and said, hey, I, I'm gonna go help him build a church now. And he did. And it was because of the time in the chair. And it was the same chair that he sat in when he opened up the news, the fact that he had terminal cancer. And as he sat in the chair, he knew his time was limited. And he went from the chair and eventually had to go to a bed. And the thing he regretted the most about being in the bed in the hospital was the fact that he didn't have his chair anymore. And then he died. Bill did his funeral. And Bill said, man, there was just something about that chair, wasn't it? And his wife said, because that's where he went to meet with God. You know what his kids fought about when he died? One money. It's about, about who got the chair. Because that's a spiritual legacy that leaves on that we want to leave to our kids and we want to leave to our community. We want to leave to our people. So that our wife might know. So our spouse might know. So our husband might know. So our kids might know. And so the world will know of who has our heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Get a time. Get a place. It's time to show up. Will you stand with me? Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that humbly we can come to you again and look for a heart that beats after you. And we pray that you make that known to us and that we don't leave this place thinking, well, I'll worry about it tomorrow. But Father, we will take care of that moment today. May we be a people of intention. In Jesus' name I pray.